0: This episode is brought to you by VINSMART. Need help with your recall campaigns? DMVs, government agencies, fleet owners can learn more by visiting vinsmart.com slash businesses or call 1-888-950-9550. Welcome to Amvacast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Amvacast. This week, we're gonna talk about a key initiative that's happening in the AMVA community. It's one we're referring to as the CDL Test Modernization Initiative. And by the end of this episode, you'll understand what all those words mean. And to help me talk about it, I am pleased to welcome Jeff Oberdank, Jeff is the administrator of the Registration Bureau at the New Hampshire DMV. However, as it relates to this project, one of the key reasons we have Jeff on this week is because Jeff is the chair of Anva's Test Maintenance Subcommittee, which is the member group that is overseeing and guiding this test modernization initiative. Jeff, welcome to your first appearance on the AmvaCast.
1: Good afternoon, Ian, and uh, thank you for having me. Very, uh, very much excited to be here and talk about this new initiative today.
0: Well, let's explain to folks what what it is we're talking about. Uh, Those that are in the driver testing, driver licensing world know what some of those acronyms stand for. But let's lay the baseline. When we talk about the CDL test, put modernization aside for a second, but we're just referring to the CDL test. For those who maybe aren't as familiar with the commercial driving world, uh, what would be the elevator speech to explain to them the CDL test?
1: Well, in the the CDL test, like any other examination for any other motor vehicle type, is looking for entry level skill sets for individuals who are looking to drive a particular vehicle type. In this instance, it's a somebody who is already licensed, um, somebody who's been licensed to drive a car typically for a number of years, and they're looking to get a higher class of license, in the commercial driver license field, and there are many different vehicle types to be considered in this field, such as school bus, tractor trailer, and other vehicle, other commercial vehicle types.
0: And one of the things I think that's interesting that folks may not may not appreciate is when someone goes in to take their regular driver licensing test to drive their car. Uh, every jurisdiction has essentially their own test and has the freedom to create their own test. Though there are some standards and models throughout the community that a lot of jurisdictions follow for consistency and uniformity, there's no requirement that any jurisdiction follow a specific driver licensing test for a basic car driver's license. That's a little different for a commercial driver's license. Can you explain that a little bit?
1: Yeah, that's where the commercial driver license uh, standard is a bit different. And this goes back to the Commercial Vehicle Safety Act. I believe it's of 1986 where um, FMCSA, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, mandated that there be one standard testing model for commercial vehicles uh, that should be used throughout all jurisdictions. That means that every single state is supposed to be utilizing the same testing methods, the same testing score sheets, and the same knowledge testing materials as well, essentially making it so that the commercial license uh, is the same across all jurisdictions.
0: One of the things I think that was wisely done at that point in time is though they said there should be one test, uh, that the federal government, if you will, would regulate or oversee. They didn't try to write the test themselves. They were they were um, mindful enough to turn to the states who are the experts in driver licensing to say, "We want you all to use the same tests, but we want it to be your test."
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good point, and I think that's uh, that's really the baseline on what the test maintenance subcommittee and the uh, the IDEC committee stand for. They are Regional representatives there's a region one, as you know, a region two, a region three and a region four um, and the groups are made up of representatives from each one of those regions and the test maintenance subcommittee, for instance, that's the group that's supposed to come up with the testing model and how do they do that because every state likes to do things just a little bit things a little bit different. you've got to find some way to get people together to have that discussion and that's where the Test Maintenance Subcommittee comes in.
0: And so the last time, the the test obviously was originally written in the early 90s when that law first took effect, and it's been updated over the years. Uh, prior to getting into this current modernization effort, when was the last time that the the test program, the, the model, the test that all the states use, what was that version that was last updated? That
1: was, uh, Ian, that was the 2005, uh, test model that came out. Um, and very similar to the modernization effort that's going on today. Um, at that point in 2005, there was a, a certain concept on the table on what it took to recognize if somebody had basic minimum skill. Um, since 2005, when that test model came out, the commercial motor vehicles have changed dramatically. The technology in those vehicles has changed uh, dramatically as well, mm-hmm. and that's the reason for the modernization effort today. Um, the 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 2005 test model is really being stretched thin to try to incorporate those new vehicle types
0: into the current test model. The group recognized that the vehicles were changing; that the way drivers were operating these vehicles were changing, and therefore perhaps the assessment of the minimum skills to operate these vehicles, fairly complex, heavy, um, dangerous, if not properly operated vehicles, the way we assess that all needed to be revisited and and updated. Uh, Besides the technology in the vehicle, were there other changes that have occurred since 2005 that made the committee say, hey, maybe some of the way we're doing these tests uh, can be updated, can be more modern, can be more efficient and effective to make sure these new drivers are safe.
1: Yeah, uh, I, you know, I think the 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 big thing with the 2005 test model, and as we've seen, that there's over over 100 items during the pre trip inspection. Uh, you know, the the 2005 test model, they've they've added a number of things to it over the years to incorporate different vehicle types. And it's really become a test and memorization uh, more than it is in basic minimum skill. And what we found is that applicants are struggling with the memorization of the things that they should check. Um, And we're trying to move away from some of those uh, lengthy pre-trip inspection items. And the new modernization effort really brings us back to critical safety items. And where that becomes important as we get these new hybrid and battery-powered vehicles that are out there and we need to add those items to the checklist for pre-trip inspection, we simply couldn't do that to the current list. Um, It would make it nearly impossible for somebody to check 120, 130 items successfully. um, Realizing that that wasn't the best practice in industry as well. Um, Industry drivers were being asked to come in and check Tires, wheels, suspension, brakes, and then use the vehicle for the day. And the checklist that we had uh, far far exceeded the the number of items that uh, that industry was expecting drivers to check today.
0: So, how does that uh, then appear in a? proposed change to to the test? Are they not asked to check those things? Are they being asked to check less things? How do you, how in the proposed revised revisions to the test, how do you move away from memorization while still maintaining an assessment that these operators understand the vehicle?
1: Well, there's a couple different ways to do that, Ian. I think the the first thing that we realized uh, when the test maintenance subcommittee started uh, an open dialogue with industry is, The expectation from industry is that each morning the driver would be handed a checklist and the driver would then take that checklist and go over the vehicle components that they needed to and that they would hand that checklist into either management or the mechanical staff if they found something that that needed to be corrected. Uh, And I think the big thing to really really minimize the number of items on the checklist or, or the test was Instead of showing us how to check 18 wheels and 18 tires, show us how to check a wheel and a tire. Instead of showing us how you would check 10 sets of brakes, Mm. show us how you would check a brake. Understanding that the requirement is that you check all of those when you're in the field, we really didn't think that you needed to check all of those to demonstrate the ability to properly check. So, it wasn't removing items per se. And I think that's been sort of some of the scuttlebutt out there in the field. Um, It was really limiting the number of similar things that you would have to check.
0: Now, this pre trip inspection uh, is part of the part of the test referred to as the vehicle inspection test, correct?
1: That is that is correct. The uh, VI, as we call it, because we love our acronyms here. Uh, the vehicle inspection. Are there other
0: elements of the vehicle inspection portion besides that? Besides the migration of memorization to checklist, are there other changes in the vehicle inspection part of the test that this project is considering?
1: Well, I, I think there, there, there's two parts to the modernization, and I think the, the big thing for us is to um, we're going to get back to to minimum standard and making sure that we're checking critical safety items, um, so that in the future we can incorporate those hybrid vehicles, so that we can incorporate those battery powered vehicles, mm. and we can incorporate those uh, diesel electric and 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 uh, natural gas uh, LNG. So we can start incorporating some of those non-conventional uh, engine types. So again, we went back to uh, scaling it down to just critical safety items. Um, so at, at a later date, we can start incorporating those new modernized uh, drivetrains.
0: And I want—I will come back to that a little bit later on how to prepare those examiners to know what they're looking at in these in these new vehicles. But I want to keep walking through you know, the changes to the test that, that are being considered. So you've kind of, you got the vehicle parked down. Now you've mentioned earlier, you know, we want to make sure that there's that basic set of skills to control the vehicle, uh, which I believe falls into this category of the basic control skills test part of the, the exam. So how, how does this philosophy start to play out in terms of assessing how an applicant is controlling the vehicle?
1: Well, I think the first thing is, uh, and what we've come to realize is that the, the initial skills that were developed um, as early as 2000 uh, were developed off of a truck rodeo format. And for those who are not familiar with a truck rodeo, hmm. um, the truck rodeo is really a skills test or a skills competition for experienced drivers. So back in 2000, they took a modified version of a truck rodeo to use for skills. Um, a couple of things that we've learned over the years from that: it's it's far greater than basic minimum skill or entry level skill set, I should say. Um, and and the other part was that the, the the number of skills that they had set up and that they'd use in the 2000 and again in the uh, revised version in 2005 took a large footprint. And the difficulty with jurisdictions to comply with the regulation is finding the enough real estate to be able to do um, what they call the, the, the BCS, the basic control skills, or the circuit test. So one of the things that we looked at for the modernization is how can we incorporate same or similar type skill sets and backing maneuvers without needing that large footprint? Um, so first thing we did before we move forward with this initiative is we gathered um, a number of different data sets. We looked at what drivers were experiencing out there in the real world. Where are the accidents happening? Where are the crashes happening? Where are drivers being sighted? What's going on out there? So the first thing we looked at is to incorporate a few of the skills that looked at some of the crash data and some of the, um, so for, for instance, the number one crash in a commercial motor vehicle was low-speed rear-end crashes. What did we do to solve that? Well, we put the front bumper stop back into the exercise. We want to see that the driver knows where the front end of that vehicle is. And then we started incorporating some of the similar or same exercises that you see today, but we combined a number of those exercises to reduce the footprint. So looking at data, looking at crash, looking at crash data, looking at statistics, we were able to incorporate a few new maneuvers, but we are also able to combine a few of the existing maneuvers and reduce the footprint. And hopefully this gives us the ability to allow states to to, to comply with the regulation. I think that's where we've got some trouble within a few states that uh, more than quite a few states actually reached out and said, we just don't have the real estate of the footprint. So, The modernization effort incorporated what the states were telling us needed to be changed. They also incorporated some of the crash data and some of the statistics that told us we needed to change. And that's where we've come up with the new uh, basic control skills test.
0: So you have these proposed ideas that the group has talked about and sort of created and designed how, what's the process that the committee and the community is using to determine whether or not these are good changes? Because they certainly, they sound great, certainly when we talk about them and they seem to make sense, but of course the proof is in the pudding once you get out there and you're actually putting drivers behind the wheel to make sure that the new way of testing is as safe, if not safer than what we've done before. So what's the methodology behind proving out that this proposal uh, might be worth moving forward with?
1: That's a great question. So um, at a couple of different points during, during my career, and I've been, at, I've been at this and involved with CDL for about 21 years, uh, there was, uh, we reach back into the history books. What did they do in 2000? Uh, what did they do again in 2005? And we look back at lessons learned. Um, and I think the, the first thing we looked at was that there was a concept that we had to proof out. And that's where the test maintenance subcommittee and the IDEC committee get together. And we start to um, really whiteboard out what we think it's going to look like. Then at that point, after a, a series of meetings where we've come up with a concept, we then have to go out and physically see if this thing will work. So um, again, the committees get together. Uh, it was mm-hmm. at, I believe it was Pinellas Technical School down in Florida. And we set up what we thought the course would look like. And over the course of a week or and a couple of different meetings, a few weeks, we, we tried the course a number of different ways. And then finally, we massaged it to a point where we thought we were ready for um, a pilot test. So there were two states selected to run a pilot test. And the pilot test consists of um, a number of examiners from different jurisdictions, typically related to the test maintenance subcommittee and the IDEC committee as well. Uh, We train those examiners. We come up with proposed training materials. We see how the training materials work. And then we ask members in industry and various industry, whether they be CDL schools or school bus industry, um, towing association. We've asked a number of folks from industry to review the materials and come out and try the new test that we've put together and give us their thoughts on it. We then pull all that data together. We've had that data analyzed. Uh, we, we were lucky enough to be able to go out and hire a third party um, data uh, analyzation group to, to go over the data that we learned. And we presented those materials and those findings from our, our, our really years long efforts. It took us two or three years to put this thing together. And then we submit those findings to FMCSA and we say, hey, here's what we found here's what we think is going to work. And now we would like to go out and field test this with brand new applicants. Um, And again, the field testing, there were three states selected to do the field testing. New Hampshire was one. Um, We've been testing now for, this will be week number four. Um, I believe the state of Virginia starts testing in a couple of weeks. And following a month after them, the state of Maryland will also be testing. Um, So we're going to be gathering data throughout these three field tests in these three Mm. states, utilizing state examiners in one state. Um, My state back in New Hampshire, we're also going to be utilizing um, third-party testers in the state of Virginia. And then the state of Maryland's finally, they're a hybrid state that has third-party testers and state examiners. And we're going to perform about 300 tests or 300 of each section of the test in each state. And again, provide that data to a third party data analyzation group. And then they'll provide that data back to Test Maintenance Subcommittee and ANVA for review. And finally, we'll pass that data on to FMCSA. And uh, at the end of this thing, we'll see if the new test is essentially equivalent at identifying drivers with entry level skill sets.
0: And how will they come to that finding? You know, it's those drivers being out on the road. uh, It'll take many years to know whether their performance over time is as safe or safer. So what are some of the key metrics that they'll be looking at in the data? Is it past failure rates? Is it something else? What is in there that might be some of those indicators to say this is as good or better than what we're doing now?
1: Yeah, that's the uh, that's a great question, and that's the uh, the million dollar question of this initiative. It's not just throwing something against a wall uh, to see what sticks. It's it's um, proactively and thoughtfully and and in a responsible manner collecting data on each element of the examination and comparing that to those same elements from the current test model. Um, after we've gone through this initiative um there's there's going to be a a question and answer period um and it's not just going to be for jurisdictions um we're not the only stakeholders at the table there's there's industry that's going to have to comment on this um you know there are safety agencies i'm sure NHTSA will want to comment on on this and um you know and again gathering those data elements from each portion of the examination carefully comparing them to the test model that's out there now And then proactively following those who pass the examination using the new test model and monitoring their driving records. Uh, We want to have those indicators out there early. We want to be uh, committed to following those indicators and to following those drivers. And most importantly, if something in the test model isn't proofing out the way we thought it would, then we've also got to be committed to getting back to the table in a responsible way.
0: So you've been doing it for a few weeks in New Hampshire with the field test. How is it going?
1: It's, um, you know, surprisingly, we're, we're lucky enough to have um, Kevin Lewis and, and, and Karen Morton and Brett Robinson and a few folks that were involved in the 2000 and again in the 2005 test model. And our conversations early on, the indicators are they're seeing the, almost the exact same type of patterns develop that they saw in 2000 and again in 2005. Uh, I, I think the first week of, of data that we got is, is interesting in the way that it's not saying what we thought it would say, but it's only the first week of the test and, and I think there's a training period for the public that's taking the exam sure. as well. Um, although this is a scaled down testing version, it's still change. And anytime that we throw change into the mix, it takes a while for everybody to adjust. So um, I think it's gone well early on. We're seeing some things we thought we would see. One of the interesting things we didn't think we would see was the pre-trip is actually taking longer um, as drivers are um, getting used to the new model. It's, although it's, we think it's a better and it's a slimmed down version. It's something different. And there's an adjustment period that we're noticing.
0: One of the key constituencies that you referenced early on was preparing examiners to do the the new tests. Uh, they are the front line of safety in terms of making sure a new driver is ready to be behind the wheel. Many of these examiners uh, are veteran examiners that have been th- performing tests a certain way for much of their career, uh, how is that education and change process going preparing examiners to administer these changes?
1: That's an interesting uh, question because, you know, initially, probably about a year and a half, two years ago, we started developing the materials for this, for the examiners. Um, and it's kind, of a, it's kind of a double-edged sword because you've had examiners that are seasoned examiners that have been trained to do something a certain way for a long time. And again, just like it was watching the applicants taking the test, um, having a little bit of a rough time with the adjustment period, we were starting to see a few of the same things for training examiners. Uh, the good thing about the, the, especially the vehicle inspection portion, of the pre-trip inspection, is that we're not asking people to check items differently. We're just asking them to check items in a different order. So as far as the examiner's learning curve, once they get used to the change in model, they're still looking for the same things. They're still ensuring that the applicant has the entry level skill set to make sure the vehicle is safe for the road that day. So I don't see the learning curve being that great for the examiners, but again, it is change. Um, so it, I think it's just repetition um, that will get the examiners Mm -hmm. over the hump to the new test model.
0: Does that hold true with the issue of the vehicles and the new technology that you talked about early on? Uh, we're used to combustion engines and air brakes and all those things that come in these large vehicles. And now they are watching applicants inspect vehicles that have batteries and different braking systems and different, you know, propulsion energy behind it. Uh, Many, in, in many cases, it's perhaps technology that an examiner doesn't see until an applicant arrives with that vehicle. So how do you, how do you bridge that knowledge gap?
1: That's, the, uh, that's the, 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 really the driving force behind changing the examination, particularly with the vehicle inspection, was being able to put our examiners in a place to succeed, number one, and to be safe. Uh, There was a great concern from a number of jurisdictions that we received uh, back to the test maintenance subcommittee uh, that people were unaware of how to check some of these vehicles that were coming into the test site, number one. But number two, they didn't feel very safe in checking some of these compartments with these large batteries and this electrical cabling. Where should I touch? Where should I not touch? What has to be checked? What isn't a critical safety item and doesn't have to be checked? So really, the the new types of vehicles that were coming out just weren't fitting into the 2005 test model. And again, I think this is one of the driving forces behind not only putting examiners in a place to succeed, um, but also helping eliminate some of the uh, backlog and the testing delay, which is a big um, concern of FMCSA. Um, And it's also, we're utilizing the same skill sets that folks will be using once they're licensed and they're working in industry. We're not asking them to do things that they wouldn't be doing on the job. So again, I think there are a number of factors into the change, coming into making a change. Um, But the, the modernized vehicle coming to our test site was really probably the biggest driving factor for change.
0: So Jeff, you mentioned the process where we're going to continue to do these field tests, collect data, analyze the data, deliver it to FMCSA. They ultimately have to approve the modernized test is not something that simply TMS and ANVA can say, we are satisfied and this is the new test, but it actually needs formal FMCSA approval?
1: Yeah, so right, we're, we're going through, it is a very formal process. Um, obviously, with safety at the forefront, the charter isn't to make this test easier. The The charter is to make this test a little bit more realistic to vehicles that are being produced today. Um But again, just like the current test, it has to show that the drivers that are passing this examination have entry-level skill set. And and to go through that process Mm -hmm. takes a lot of effort. Uh, Again, this is years in the making for those that are just hearing of it or have heard about it for the last few years. We actually started talking about this in 2016 at a test maintenance subcommittee meeting. Um, And it's been a very thoughtful process to involve Uh, not only FMCSA from the beginning, because we do have a member um, of FMCSA on our test maintenance subcommittee, but to also go out to industry and listen to what they have to say as well. So this is really FMCSA approving this test model at the end is really closing the loop to many years of, of effort.
0: And to that point, at five years in, for those jurisdictions that are listening and are very anxious to have a new and updated test, particularly, you know, whether it relates to having a smaller footprint or moving away for a memorization to checklist, those things that we've heard over and over again that states are particularly excited about. What do you think the timeline and the horizon now looking forward, you know, as we tack on to the five years that we're into it already? Uh. Best case scenario, knowing that, you know, it's an evolving process and the data has to prove it out. But if the data proves out that our theories hold true and that these changes are, you know, positive and can be adopted, are we talking another five years? What what does the horizon look like?
1: No, I, I definitely don't think it's another five years. And, uh, and as you know, um, and this has generated quite a buzz throughout the jurisdictions. And this is really we, we look to tackle a big problem with this modernization effort. And it has taken, as you mentioned, uh, quite a bit of time to get to this point. Um, but again, you know, we've we've tried to be thoughtful and mindful of what our responsibility is here. Um, and I think that the, the, the conclusion of testing should be done by October or November field testing. That is um, test maintenance subcommittees going to need at least another 60 days or so to review the materials that come back, review the data that comes back, finalize a report, um, and provide that report to FMCSA. I, I'm going to say that I, it would be in a, aggressive timeline if we could have the test ready by 2023 the first of 2023 because there's still a lot of work to be done i know people are excited and it's out there but um we've come this far and i think it's uh the responsible thing to do is take the time to make sure that the the data is presented in a thoughtful way and again that we're meeting the standard of entry-level skill sets and When we've completed it, and if FMCSA does give us the blessing, then probably the next big step in this phase is to get the materials ready for states to use. We don't want to just say, ready, set, go, figure it out. We've got to make sure that the training manuals um, are in good shape for the public, for the applicants. We've got to make sure the training materials are there for the examiners. And most importantly, we've got to make sure that those training opportunities, like train the trainer, um, those materials are all updated as well, and that we are prepared as a test maintenance and an IDEC Mm -hmm. committee uh, and an AMVA community to roll out materials that will put states in a place to be successful. So again, I think the first of 2023 um, is probably the most realistic of timelines.
0: So, well, maybe we'll look forward to calling this the uh, 2023 skills test system might be the <laughs> the target we put out there.
1: Yeah, I, I you know, I, I hate to rush it along at this point. I know we've had a lot of calls. We had a great uh, CDL coordinators call over the winter. I think we had nearly 150 participants and um, we had people chomping at the bit saying, we're ready, we're ready. Uh, but again, you know, if you put something out there without the right training materials and, and the right support system behind it, uh, it's not going to be successful. And I don't think we want to waste uh, five, six years of effort um, yeah. if we can just take a little bit longer to ensure that we've got the right materials ready to go.
0: Yeah. And, and certainly by that time, if you're looking at it'll have been close to 20 years from the previous version. It's because the 2005 version has served the community well. It's not that the 2005 version is broken. It's that the world has evolved, whether it's the vehicle technology, recognizing better data around crash causation, and being able to take something that's served us well and has been a strong model and approve upon it. We want to make sure the improvement can last another 20 years.
1: We definitely do. And who knows what commercial motor vehicles we'll be looking at 20 years from now, Are we going to be at uh, level three or four um, autonomy? You know, where are we going to be at that point? And I think the important thing is that we really needed to take a shot to slim down the Mm -hmm. current 2005 version to allow for those new vehicle types.
0: Well, Jeff, it's been really great having you on here. Is there anything else about this modernization initiative that we haven't touched on that you think our listeners may want to know about?
1: I think the important thing that we've said from day one, and there's only been a you know a few people in the uh, you know in the meeting room as we've talked about this over the past uh, four or five years, this needs to be a data driven model. We want to get away from what we call the "I thinks," and that's how we got into over a hundred items. I think we should add this, and I think we should add mm-hmm. that, and I think we should do this. We've really stripped this back to looking at the data, looking at where drivers are struggling looking at where our states and our jurisdictions are struggling, look at where industry is struggling with us. And we've tried to incorporate all of those different elements into our new test model. Um, And and we're going to know here in a few short months. So please be patient. We'll know in a few short months, what the data tells us. So we look forward to that.
0: Well, Jeff, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for your leadership on this project, uh, particularly in leadership of the Test Maintenance Subcommittee and working so closely in collaboration with your colleagues on the International Driver Examiner Certification Board, IDEC, as it's more quickly referred to. Uh, But really want to uh, thank you for your time, informing our listeners. Uh, As Jeff said, there'll be more information coming out, whether you are attending one of our upcoming conferences as conferences start to come back to in-person gatherings, uh, continued webinars and other information from from ANVA. So with that, I want to thank you all for tuning in today. I want to thank our producers Chelsea Hadwin and Claire Jeffrey, and we'll see you all back here next week on the ANVAcast. Till then, stay well, everyone. Thank you for joining us for ANVAcast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey. Music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Recall Buzz, powered by Vinsmart. Visit us at ambicast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.